Well, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you on this wonderful, happy Easter morning. But before we talk about the resurrection, I do want to let you know that in two weeks, that's on April 23rd, we're going to be starting a new series where we're going to go through the Old Testament book of Joshua, talking about what it looks like to build dynamic faith. And so, of course, I want to make sure to invite every single one of one of you to join us in that series. And also, if you will commit to being here in two weeks on your way out this morning, we have a gift that we would like to give you a copy of the book of Joshua with room for you to take notes during the series. That's a free gift because of the generosity of all of those that call Village Home, all of those that faithfully give. Uh, But we're going to have one copy per adult. And the only thing that we ask is that if you take one, you'll commit to being with us here in two weeks for the start of that series. But of course, today is Easter Sunday. So I got really creative and I said, what should we talk about? And the only conclusion I could come to was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as would have it, we also are finding ourselves at that point in the book of Matthew as we've made our way all the way through the gospel according to Matthew. And today we find ourselves in Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. And so I just want to go ahead and read the first six verses with you as we start. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. So after weeks of talking about the pain that Jesus endured from Matthew 25 all the way through Matthew 27, where he was rejected by his own disciples, he was abandoned by them, and then Judas, of course, betrayed him and was brought before the Jewish council, unlawfully tried, then he was given into the hands of Gentiles, tried before Pilate, tried before Herod, tried again before Pilate beaten ruthlessly, sent to be crucified on the cross, died, laid in the tomb Friday, Saturday. And then as we just read on that Sunday morning, we see the purpose behind every ounce of the life of Jesus Christ. God becoming a man born of the Virgin Mary, living the perfect life that you are incapable of living for the purpose of substituting Himself on the cross for your sin and for mine. But if all that Jesus had done was to die on that cross, and if he was still dead to this day, he would be no different than any other man, no different than anyone else that has led some type of revolution or religious movement throughout the history of the world. But in fact, Christ's life and Christ's death are different because of what we just read. Not only did Christ claim to be God while he was alive, he proved without a doubt, that he was God and is God after his death. How did he do that? Well, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If you look at every other religious leader throughout the history of the world, you will find their grave. 
Their body will be in there no matter how much it has dissolved and disintegrated, but you will not find the body of Jesus Christ. You know, they're even uncertain as to where specifically the graveside of Jesus Christ is. They have many places that they're thinking he was raised. There's evidence that he was laid in the tomb there, but there's no certainty. And the only reason we can come to that there's no certainty is because he didn't stay there very long. There was no reason to visit his grave after three days because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I want you to understand this morning, number one, that the resurrection was always the plan of God. It was always his plan. This was not some fourth quarter overtime game call that God made. He didn't look down, see his son on the cross and say, what are we going to do now? Well, we could have ourselves a resurrection. Now, this was always the plan of God and God was always moving history towards this very purpose. As I said, if you want a resurrection, you have to first face death. And so when we look to the purpose of everything that Jesus endured, all of the pain that God the Son went through in this life, we find it in Matthew 28, 6, when that angel looks to Mary and the other Mary and says, He is not here. But not only is He not here, but it's as He said. He told them that this was going to happen. This was the plan of Jesus Christ for his entire life. Matthew 28, then, is the very climax of the gospel account. It's the purpose for which Jesus came into this world. It reveals the ultimate reason why God became a human being coming to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. This is why he lived that perfect life for you. This is why he went to the cross. This is why it could be a substitutionary death. Because the substitutionary part would not be sufficient until he showed that he had power over sin and over the death that he substituted himself for on that cross. He was triumphant in his resurrection because that is the purpose for which he came. And the scriptures are so full of prophecies and promises of that day that we've seen throughout the gospel according to Matthew that we could not in the time that we have together cover every bit of it. All of this happened according to the plan of God. You know, the entire story that scripture lays out for us can be summed up in four parts. First, there's the creation of all that is by God himself. Then, of course, unfortunately, there is that fall of man in the garden where God gave a simple command and man chose to rebel against the very command, the very purpose, the very design for which we were created. And everyone born since Adam and Eve has inherited a sinful and corrupt nature for which we deserve the wrath of God for all eternity. But very quickly, God promised in Genesis chapter 3 that there would be redemption. There would be victory over sin. There would be victory over the penalty for sin, which is not just death in this life, but a second death by which you will endure the eternal wrath of God for all eternity. And then with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we kick off what looks like the restoration of God's design. And it comes into your life initially through faith, through realizing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is sufficient to save you from your sin. 
Throughout the Old Testament, God shows himself to people through Israel, and he always makes these veiled, these incomplete these shadowy statements, these mysterious inklings and promises through symbolic gestures and demands that something is coming in the future that will give you the hope that you need, not just in this life, but the hope that you need to face what is after this life. And then what we just read in Genesis 28 is the culmination of all of those promises. It's the culmination of all of those prophecies. And Jesus told them, Every one of his followers should have known that he was going to rise again. Their fear should have been overcome by faith that Jesus was telling the truth. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus told them, I've got to be delivered over into the hands of sinful men, but I will rise. Matthew 17, 22 through 23, he told them again, I'm going to rise from the dead. In Matthew 20, verses 18 through 19, If you see a trend, he says, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to rise again. His followers should have known. His followers should have been fully aware. This was the plan for which Jesus not only was born, but this was the plan by which he went to Jerusalem that day. He went in there knowing that he was going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, but that he would rise again. Again, why? Because of what you need. Friend, you need to be forgiven of your sin. You can never know God without that forgiveness. You need the penalty for your sin to be paid so that you can be redeemed from it. But you cannot accomplish that on your own. It is only the judge that can deliver you from the sin that condemns you. And that judge is Jesus Christ. And God loves you to the extent that he came to this earth, became part of his creation and was delivered over onto that cross where he really did suffer and he really did die so that he could flex his eternal muscles from glory and rise from the dead as he said he would. Friends, Jesus was in that tomb because of the price that you and I deserve to pay for our sin, but he wasn't there when they came to see him in that tomb. He was gone. He'd risen from the dead. That's why verse 6 is very literally the high point of Scripture. Right there we see that God has the power to use pain for the purpose of redemption. Friends, the pain of sin is not more than Jesus can overcome. So if you've come in here this morning and you're hurting, you don't know what to do with your life, the corruption and the curse of sin has brought not just darkness in this world, but it's brought darkness into your life. Understand that the death and resurrection of Jesus revealed to every one of us that there is purpose in every ounce of pain that you will endure in this life. But that purpose is only going to be revealed and it's only going to be experienced through faith in the one who has power over that very pain. The one who can redeem you from the source of that pain, which is is sin. That's why number two this morning, the resurrection is the anchor of Christian hope. If you've ever wondered what's the purpose of Christianity, many people will try to paint many, many different purposes. You go into any room in America, 
Ask them, what's the purpose of Christianity? You might get as many different answers as there are people that answer it. But I can tell you, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be no Christianity. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be no purpose for us gathering week in and week out. There would be no purpose for me to tell you that the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save your life. There'd be no purpose behind it all because there would be no power over sin. There would be no power over death. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead in order to give you an objective anchor by which you can always have hope in this life. And it is a hope that overshadows the pain of death. Again, in verse six, the angel looks to them and says, he is not here. For he has risen as he said, come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you so. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Hello. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. What else would they do? And I love this. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. He didn't say don't have great joy. Because that's good. He said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. The hope of resurrection must always, if you're a follower of Jesus, overshadow the pain of death. I mean, if an angel appears to you, the the stone is rolled away, and you look and he is gone, there's going to be a little bit of fear. That was the doubt in their lives. But there's also great joy because they had an inkling. What if he was telling us the truth? What if this is an angel revealing to us that the Savior is alive? And then as they go, as they were told, Jesus gives them one more revelation. And it's the great revelation. It's the revelation of himself. And he stands before them risen. And he says, I've got a mission for you. This hope is not just for you. I want you to go and tell my disciples. That's the key with understanding what the Christian life is all about. Is It's always about giving the good news to somebody else. Because I can tell you no matter how many people I meet, no matter how many people I share the gospel with, every single one of them is a person that needs hope. Everyone in this world needs the hope of Jesus Christ, and that is why God designed the gospel the way that he did. Imagine that morning as they went from pain, as they went from mourning, as they went from a place where they were shocked at the very death of their great teacher, Jesus Christ, and then the hope, the joy, the glee in realizing he is no longer dead. He's risen from the dead. That's why Jesus looked at those mourning the death of his friend Lazarus in John eleven twenty five, 25. And he said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. How could he make a promise like that that would stick if he himself didn't rise from the dead? But he said that in light of the fact that he knew that he would rise. Friend, there is no fear of death when you know that on the other side is resurrection. When you know that on the other side is eternal life. 
And this is the hope that we have in Jesus. So I'll tell you, if Jesus rose from the dead, then your hope must be unshakable. It has to be completely unshakable. And the hope of the resurrection of Jesus can be treated like an anchor for life because it is a real event. It's not just some fairy tale. It's not just some story. It's not just some spiritual thing. It wasn't just some spiritual resurrection. He really physically rose from the dead in a real historical event. Scholar Gary Habermas points out that when you look at history, there's a minimum standard that for something to be considered a historical event, there's a standard that must be met. And he notes throughout history, there are five standards that are the minimal standards for trusting that an event actually happened. First, it has to be attested by more than one independent source. Gospel of Jesus is multiple independence. Second, it's affirmed by sources that are not sympathetic to Jesus. And we see throughout history that there are those close to the actual event that don't believe. And they say, there is this news that there was a man, Jesus, who not only died, but his body was gone. And people, multiple people said, he's up walking around. He's alive. That's the fourth thing. There's eyewitness testimony. It's not just second and third hand knowledge. You can find many people who actually saw the risen Christ. And then fifth, it is sourced from testimony very close to the historical event. You know, like the disciples. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ fits every one of those minimum standards. But there's more. Circumstantially, there's the change in the lives of the disciples. You look at those 11 guys, you won't find a bigger group of cowards. You won't find a bigger group of men that you don't want to have your back in a fight because they will not have your back. At the moment Jesus was arrested, they abandoned him and they hid until after this. Notice that it wasn't his male followers that were going to the tomb that morning. It was Mary and the other Mary. They were scared then after the news of the resurrection and their time with Christ after He'd risen from the dead. The book of Acts records their great courage that they lived and died claiming He'd risen from the dead. They were cowards no longer. But secondly, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I can take you to over 500 people that spent time with Him after He rose from the dead. There's those eyewitness accounts that are vital. It wasn't just a conspiracy among a few guys to say, oh, our man rose from the dead. No, the Apostle Paul said, I got hundreds of people that spent time with Him. I got 120 that saw Him ascend up into heaven. This isn't just some small-scale hallucination. If eyewitness accounts, then third, the local origins of faith in Jesus' resurrection. If you look throughout history and you find where did all of the fairy tales come from, it's always in a galaxy far, far away. It's always in a land that's removed from your own. But these guys are in their own neighborhood where the origins of the resurrection took place. The very town where he died. It'd be one thing if you were executed in California and then someone in Russia said they saw you walking around. No, it was in his very neighborhood. It was in the very city where he was crucified. Then in less than two months, there were thousands 
of believers in and around Jerusalem. Then within a few years after that, it had spread over the known world at that time. This was not some false belief created 300 years after the event. It was a true faith that came less than two weeks after he was crucified. Friends, you believe things about American history that don't have as much evidence as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you that's vital for three reasons. First, if he rose, he is God and everything he said is true. If he rose, then when he says, I have hope for an eternal life, he meant it. I can trust him. I can believe him. Secondly, if he rose, he has the power to save you from your sin. Friend, sin is your enemy and you need salvation from it. Then thirdly, if he rose, Jesus has the power to give you new life. And what's amazing is he gives you the righteousness of his own life. Friend, you need Jesus Christ because that is what anchoring hope in needs. Doesn't mean checking your brain at the door like many would accuse Christians of. No, it means taking a very real look at a very real event and then considering what are the ramifications of this? What are the the implications of this event? It means that we have an objective anchor of hope. It means that this isn't just some mythical, mystical thing that we think may have happened one day. No, it means that I can put an objective anchor of reality for my life around this. And in the end, I will rise to the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. When Jesus gave the promise of life in John 14, 19, he said, yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. Friends, in a world that is so dark with sin, that is the hope that you need. It's the hope that even in the face of death, you can find life. We have a historic, objective, factual anchor for our hope of forgiveness from sin, for our hope that God wants to be in relationship with us and for a future resurrection to the kingdom of God. But friend, you have a choice. Number three this morning, you can either believe the truth of God or you can believe the lies of man. Friend, there's no gray area here. You must choose one or you must choose the other. And that will determine your eternity. Look at what the text says, starting in verse 11. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and they told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. 
So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this very day. The lies of man. Friend, you can be so blinded by your sin that you believe, ooh, the facts might be true, but I will live my life fighting the truth. And that's what the council chose that day. That's what those soldiers chose that day. That's what the Roman government ultimately chose. They chose to believe a lie rather than turn from their sin and receive the grace of God. That is how powerful of a stranglehold sin can have on your life. You can see the truth, yet still deny it. You can know the truth, yet still choose to live by lies. That's why, friend, you have a decision to make whether you will live by the Word of God or you will live by the Word of man. Every one of us must make the same choice. God has told the truth from the beginning, and the other has been spreading lies, according to Matthew 28. It says, up to this very day. That's why in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul said, let God be true, even though every man might be a liar. Who will you believe? What will you anchor your very life in? When you read this section of verses in Matthew 28, you are seeing a group of men blinded by their own sin. Consider this. The greatest event in the history of the world had just happened. And they want to hide it. Fools. Darkened by their sinfulness. They want to find a lie that they can cover up the truth with. This is what their plan had been from even before he rose from the dead. As we just saw, Matthew 27, 64, they told Pilate that they should prepare for this possibility. They were planning to lie even in light of the truth actually taking place. And that's what it is. It's just true. So friend, today as you celebrate Easter Sunday, understand that you don't have to know the great historical theological reflections on the resurrection, you must know one simple thing for your life to be changed for all eternity. And that is that it's just true. He rose from the dead. Jesus loves me to the extent where even though I deserve an eternity in hell under His judgment, under His wrath, under His condemnation, He loves me so much that He gave His own life so that I could have His eternal glory. He wants to share that with me. Friend, don't walk in lies when the truth of God is available to you. God does not lie. In Titus chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, and he said, this is the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the very ages began. I'll tell you, the resurrection's proof that God doesn't lie. He's committed to truth. He made promises, the text says, before the ages began. He made the plan of resurrection. He promised salvation and then delivered on that very promise through Jesus Christ. And this is why you can trust that He will deliver on every other promise that He has ever made. And so again, I ask you, who will you trust? Who will you build your life on? 
What are you anchoring the very life that you have been given by God to? Is it the truth of God or the lies of man? And friend, I beg you, give your life to Jesus and walk in his truth. That's the way. Will you choose to continue blinded by sin, committed to the death in sin, or will you give your life to Jesus Christ? I tell you, today can be the very turning point of your life. Today, if you're in here and you're not a follower of Christ, you can literally go from dead in your sin, condemned under the penalty that is waiting for you in eternal wrath, to saint alive reconciled to God, sins forgiven, following Jesus, headed to the kingdom of heaven for all eternity, and it boils down to one thing. Will you trust the truth of God or believe the lies of sinful men? The choice is yours. There's nothing I can do to save you. There's nothing more that I can do to cajole you. You have a decision to make. Will you turn from your sin and trust the gospel of Jesus Christ with your life? Or will you continue the slow, fearful, sinful death walk to the wrath of God for all eternity? The choice is yours. As the band comes forward, I just want to give you a few application points to consider on your way today. First, friends, you need to admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus didn't do this just because he had extra time on his hands. Jesus did this because you need to be saved from your sin. I need to be saved from my sin. And he accomplished everything that ever needs to be done. Secondly, believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. There's nothing like walking through this world knowing that the weight of guilt is off of my shoulders. That the shame for my sin is gone. I walk with my head high in this world, not because I've never sinned, but because Jesus has taken all of my sin and he's given me his very righteousness. There's no confidence in life and death quite like it. Thirdly, understand that Jesus rose from the dead, securing hope for all who believe. For all who believe. If you'll trust him, you can have hope. And finally this morning, trust the truth of God and give your life to Jesus Christ. Give him your life. Give him your life. Give him your life. Give him your life. Friends, if you're in here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, but as you've been confronted by His Word today, the Spirit is doing something in you. Friend, I tell you, call out to God right there in your seat. Jesus, I believe you. Please save me from my sin. Jesus, I believe you. Please save me from my sin. That is the beginning of a lifelong conversation between you and God. But if you cry out to Him in faith, here's the amazing thing about the Gospel. He is such a good God that he will save you right here, right now, for all eternity. And friends, as we celebrate the resurrection, stand with me right now and let's sing praises to the God who not only lives, but rose from the dead 
to live again. <laughs> <laughs>